Beyond the endless Michael Jackson crying faces, Mr. Krabs' world being rocked by who knows what, and Beyonce always, always being on beat, how do you stay woke and engaged in the digital space? Although I'm sure we've all had our moments where we look at our Twitter timelines, Instagram feed, and Snapchat stories like, what kind of fuckery is this? We all know that the internet can have super instrumental effects on the world around us. On today's show, Viral, you'll hear a roundtable from Sige, Will, and I. Will and Sige got to sit down with Ria Jama, a visual artist from Somalia. They got into the usage of using art as a technique for survival. We also get the chance to hear from Kadeen, L. Herring, a student activist who shares his project mobilizing resistance against the new school's administration who has blocked his access along with dozens of other students to their transcripts all because of menial financial holds on their accounts. Then we hear from you. This week's prompt was survival tips. Is social media our generation's savior or the devil? Is the devil a lie? You let us know. So whether you're on the train, in your car, or cleaning your house because your boo's about to come over, but you're not at the point in your relationship where you can let your boo see your house a mess, thanks for listening, and welcome to Prismatic. So, I'm here with Will. Hey, y'all. And with CK. Hello. And... I think this week I want to go first and talk about what I see it for. Live your life. What I see it for is something that doesn't exist yet, and that's a Storm origin movie. Oh, my God. Right? So I am on a constant campaign online. Please cast me. What? for (laughs) For a Storm origin movie. And I think that Storm as a character, like, okay, I don't want anyone out there to get it twisted. I'm not like a comic book comic book person. Like I'm not like someone that like loves superhero. Like I've never seen an Avengers movie. Like I d- didn't watch any of the. I liked the Batman movie that had the really cute guy from um, Ten Things I Hate About You, Heath Ledger. Oh, um, oh that was uh, that was a really good movie. He was really attractive. He was really good. In everything. I would have gone with Brokeback Mountain. But you went to 10 Things I Hate About You, and so oh. I was very confused. He <laughs> <laughs> Fletcher was in a lot of stuff, y'all. But, what was okay. the one about The Last Night? Was that the one where he was like, it was like in this weird alternate He's reality, like Shakespeare time? Oh, no? wait. Sorry, go ahead. Ch- yeah, but you know what I mean? With the, with the little girl who's like, I don't know what her, she was like biracial, I think. She's really cute. No one? I don't remember. She was that. really attractive. It was More than Heath Ledger. Yeah. Anyhow, continue. So I don't know comic book characters and stuff, but I will say that. Like that cartoon that started out with like like X Men like the like that cartoon series I watched that religiously so when the first X Men movie came out with like Anna Paquin and Hugh Jackman and Halle Berry and stuff I was like really excited it's really the only comic book franchise that i go up for i love halle berry Mm -hmm. but no and alexandra ship is from the Aaliyah movie that wendy williams executive produced for lifetime i think that's all i have to say well um i was actually having this conversation earlier about why it is we may not ever see 
an origin story for Storm or an Aurora story. What? And the reason is because she had the possibility of being included in the Black Panther one. Like, narratively, that's what should have happened. Because weren't, weren't they together or something at one point? They are... Fuck, what is their country? They're royalty from... Kenya, right? Mm, it's called... It starts with like an a M. fake country. I just know, isn't there like a big mountain there? Like, I feel like they referenced Kilimanjaro. That in I'm sure they maybe put Kilimanjaro in this fake country. And just <laughs> <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds about right. Wakandan. They are Wakandan royalty. Okay. Um, but because X-Men is owned by the Swan Company and the Black Panther stories being owned by another, they won't ever. How's that possible? Because Black Panther is not a mutant. All things mutant. It's on what? Isn't a mutant. And all things mutant, I think, belong to Marvel, Marvel? which is underneath Disney. What? I hate corporate America. (laughs) Or Fox or something like that. So, like, so Black Panther, the Black Panther is not a mutant? No. What, What makes him a superhero? His strength and his ability to yeah lead. just like batman yeah don't be weird no but like everyone says that batman's super power is white privilege <gasps> well i mean that isn't wrong oh my god <laughs> sorry there's a heart attack happening in the room right now <laughs> that's the realest ass shit i've ever heard i had no idea he's just oh really my. strong yeah, he's really strong. He's a natural leader. He was able to um, keep out. Cause, so there is also this story where Captain America came to Wakanda on orders from the U.S. government to infiltrate and get there. Because they have these natural resources that like America wants to use for weapons or some shit like that. And basically he stopped the Avengers and Captain America from coming in and invading the country and doing some horrible so he's dope because he like stops imperialism he's yeah but he's also like a he's he's also been like his entire life raised as a martial artist okay so he has really awesome combat skills and so he can stop people from coming in okay well i mean that's cool and stuff and i'm really excited about that project too Mm -hmm. because that i mean it looks really dope what's her name is a part of it lupita um Back to the point, though. Yeah, like, so I am ready to play this part, and um, <laughs> I, I, I don't have a lot of, I have no film experience at the time, right now, <laughs> but I actually own two white wigs, so <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm basically ready, you like, all you have to do is get it. Like, like <coughs> stop, this is, I'm, I'm just pitching myself, oh, okay, let me just, I feel like wait, I, hold on. no one, you been okay, on film? that's fine, I mean, I have been on, I have been, okay, like, I'm just saying, like, this could be my, my, my break, and I feel like you guys aren't really supporting it, so, like, that's weird. Oh, um, we support you? I mean, I'll still do the podcast. It's <laughs> 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 fine. <laughs> okay. Um, I think, okay, so, like, it's just not fair. Like, you're right. Wolverine is, like, the wackest character ever, just played by a really hot dude. Like, why... Is Hugh Jackman hot? Yes, he what? is. What, 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 Are you? I mean, is Hugh Jackman hot? And he's, and he's super I talented. Hot. Okay. What was like, that? he can play, like, any sort of role. What, yeah. Anyone. Wolverine is... Yes to both. Like, Ben Kingsley can play every race, but he's not at all anything but an English white guy. Yes. No, 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 he is. He's part Indian, I think. One-fourth... Indian. <laughs> okay. Great Ahmed part. is gesturing to me about that. I thought it was half. He's fourth. played he's multiple brownish. Arab people. Did he play Gandhi? Not to mention a <laughs> fucking pharaoh and one of the mummy movies. Yeah, it's not okay. <laughs> it's not. It's not. I just want. I want a movie with. It's so like, there's not. <laughs> there's not a movie. In the X Men franchise, 
in which Storm gets to use like all of her. She's a fucking powerful ass yeah. boss ass bitch. She doesn't ever get the chance to show it, and it really pisses me off. And also, we've come a lot. We've come really far with our wig technology in the last couple <laughs> years. Yes. Like we could have get we Say could that. give her the best lace front, like just with the best powers. Like you know what I mean. So that's what I see it for. I think Storm she's going. Movie. Yeah, I agree, yeah. and I think that she's going to be kicking ass in this film too, independently in a way because she's going to be one of the four horsemen. Yeah, who comes through and like ends I don't know, all like, life. Is this like the, the new X Men Apocalypse comes, movie? Mm-hmm. Came out. Wait, it came out. It comes yeah. out today. Oh my slash when you listen. I used to, to be this, on top of this shit. Already just... came out last week. But you know who's really attractive? Who? James McAvoy. Really? <laughs> I really think he's hot. I'm sorry. I can just love him from afar. Okay. James McAvoy, he played, he was in... Uh, I know one person played, who would agree with you. Like he's one. also a brilliant actor. Like, tell me you don't want to watch him figure shit out on, like, on screen. Just like look at the screen and be like, oh, what's going I on? I have pity like, for him in Wanted, even though that was not a good movie, but still. But I even like his little nose. It's got a little thing in it. It was I'm, broken in Wanted. Yeah. Wanted was that movie with Angelina Jolie where they could curve the bullet. I remember that moment and that it that's <laughs> it. That's yeah, all I remember. I, oh my God. In Becoming Jane, I was here for it. <laughs> What do you see it for, Will? Gosh. Um, honestly, like right now, at this moment, I see it for dirty chai lattes. Um, I'm like trying really, really hard to gaze into this right now. Um, I'm trying have really hard to like day. cut coffee out of my diet. And though a dirty chai does have espresso in it, it's, it like convinces me that i'm doing something better for my body because i'm drinking mostly tea um but a dirty chai is basically chai tea that has uh steamed frothed frothed froth whatever uh milk and you put a shot of espresso in it and it's lit y'all yes. and gets me lit when i need to get it lit. so like chai tea itself mm-hmm. does that have caffeine in it depends yes it depends so it's double the caffeine yeah Okay. For those moments when I just need to keep going. Can I mm. plug a place? Please. Clementine. Not they're, oh, <laughs> they're not sponsors, but I have, they're the homies because I go there almost every other day. Um, Clementine Bakery. Is that the vegan bakery that you go to every morning? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's it. <laughs> what do you see it for? Oh, so just no words. Just music. Um, I'm, I'm not sure what to do right now. I'm just gonna let her have it. Okay. Oh, okay. There's some inspirational dance happening. Oh, there's hand motion. I'm just gonna let it go a little longer. I know we're gonna just. I'm gonna keep going. Just like till it gets turned up a little bit. There's some he- head isolation happening. <laughs> Shoulders. Shoulders. Syncopation of the shoulders. Hair is down. Hair, Hair is, is down. Flipping. <laughs> flipping. Okay, I'm done. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> so, <clears throat> what's up? What's up? What else are we talking about? Today we're talking about online spaces. And thank you for the theme song. I really don't think we're allowed to play that <laughs> much of the song, like by copyright laws. I feel like it's really good. It's like it brings a mood to the room. It does in a lawsuit. <laughs> Just like let it blend to the background. Don't worry about it. Um, 
I really don't think we're allowed to play the song. <laughs> I think you literally can only play seven seconds of a song. Whatever. Um, <sighs> America, like... <laughs> <laughs> it's just... Oh, but we're talking about um, online spaces and um, the ability to stay woke and engaged there, how our relationship, what our relationship is like with these online spaces and social media and such as. So what did you think? Did you guys know that I, speaking of online spaces, I run a page called Existentialist Anonymous. (laughs) Yeah. Um, That's literally what I like, thought of Like, literally, I nobody knows that I run this page, but I've slowly began, like, making it more and more black. So now, like, our cover photo is, like, you know, like, one Getchi Mutu <laughs> and, like, one of her pieces. <laughs> um, and, like, I just start posting, like, all black shit only on this existential synonymous page. Um, and a lot of, mainly white folks are like the page, like, a thousand just random white dudes um, from all over the country i guess i don't know the do, world, you wanna, maybe. do you want to talk about your feelings about that um i really oh which part the, the only white people follow existential synonymous mm-hmm. i don't know maybe the the name of it's inaccessible i didn't start it um a really <laughs> <laughs> a really like pretty like lit ass um like white queer person from seattle started it i like met them in a coffee shop no wait no it was a bookstore Twice Told Tales, which is now closed. Both of them sound like Seattle, so go ahead. Um, anyhow, Twice Told Tales was really awesome. It was like a used bookstore where like cats hung around and like they just had like really weird books and they were like meeting in a corner and they're like, This is Existential Anonymous and I was like sat down and like started talking to them. And then somehow I became an admin for the page and now I run it. That's all. (laughs) (laughs) There there are ways that we exist in these digital spaces that are very trivial, some might say, but there are some ways in which we can use the digital space in order to carve out spaces for ourselves and enact change in the world. Um, you know what I kind of wish I had said that I see it for is, um, but I don't think we should cut my see it for because it was really important, is um, MySpace. What MySpace? Ha- remember, you guys remember MySpace? But like, in, even in that time, like, the work that you're doing online is like, I mean, you're creating a, a, a version of yourself mm-hmm. To be displayed, and you're constructing an identity that exists in digital space. So it's like, where does that line? Where's the line between how that that person and then the person that you really are? I feel like it's kind of shifted, right? Like it's funny, like you know, fucking the internet happened and like the world went. To Thanks, Al Gore. Yeah, woohoo. Um, but. <laughs> But, like, it's interesting to see how, how people's identity creation online has shifted from when we were young, right? The live journal days. And AIM. To, and AIM oh to uh, Facebook and Instagram and all the other things. Because it's, like, to me, it was, like, so much of the spaces back in the day, for me, were, were very, like, and maybe it's also, like, where I was in life. It's, like, very, they were tools for me. They were tools for me to express myself and to share parts of myself that I was already engaging in in the outside world. Now, I feel like it's you are creating actual identity it's like fucking sims online right like people are creating entire identities on facebook right they're curating this idea of who they would like to project themselves as and living out their lives on a screen but you know like what and do I, you mean when you say that um they like it used to just be tools i think like when i think of like 
live like so many i think with myspace especially like who's in your top eight oftentimes even if you were connecting with people who you didn't know it was much more common that you were your top eight was like you and your best friends right so you'd have conversations in real life and be like are my in your top eight da, 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 blah blah and it was like very much like here's me sharing my life and here's me mm-hmm. con- like this is an appendage of my life rather than this is the like entirety of my life i mean you saw yes i mean like i'm not on the internet y'all i'm sorry i'm really not that much i mean comparatively um i don't have a tumblr i don't really i don't tweet very often i have an instagram but it's an extension of my facebook but when i tell y'all when my facebook was down like yesterday and the day, the day before when we had a meeting i lost my shit josh and will both saw me i couldn't log into my facebook i had the white screen of death and i swear i it was on my phone working but i couldn't get it on my computer that was the end of my life and i and i i don't think i really understood until that moment how integral that was to my life to my work because i don't just use facebook now as like something i sharing my life or whatever the fuck it is a place that like i have an identity that i use for my work right like if i don't have access to that identity that i've created on facebook i can't you know do the things that i are dependent on that platform on a platform that wasn't necessarily made to give a fuck about me, but was made for me to exist on in a way that's like a consumer, right? As a consumer and also as like a data miner for this company. So it's like, it's become a little more incestuous and a little more like intimately tied to you creating a fictionalized identity of who you are. Yeah. And I don't see much of a departure from like how it is we behave around how we deal with like being online now. When I, and what I mean specifically is like, I think about like how people will literally start, not literally, but will begin waging wars around like how it is you're followed or how it is you're perceived on your online presence. I mean, we have that fight all the time about how we're gonna design our site, but we don't even talk about that right now. Um, Some people have more opinions than others. Um, <laughs> some people should have more opinions than others. Thank you very much. Leave that in, <laughs> leave that in. <laughs> <clears throat> that's all i've said my piece <laughs> well you have more eye for design so, what was that continue so internet right continue yeah. um <laughs> so i mean i don't really see such a negative to the construction of an identity online i think it depends on what you do with that that identity like people who live for it and that's all they have to live for mm. like i i I mean, that's your decision, and you can do that if you want to. I feel as though you're missing out on a lot in the real world. Um, but I think that a lot of times, the construction of an online identity, and I and we, I talked to Tasha about this in um, episode 1.2, A Little Gem of Beauty, um, wh- where we talked about the construction of identities online. Um it depends on what you do with it. And a lot of times, if you are someone who engages in, for example, if you engage in, in activism online, or if you engage in activism in the real world, it, it, I don't think that it's a bad thing to for that activism to then, you know, like, spread to your online presence if that's what you choose to do. But I feel like it's so rarely like that. I feel like the, the relationship is not like, I'm living this experience online and let me share it online. I mean, like I'm real, living this experience in real life and let me share it online. It's like I'm seeing this online and let me perpetuate it in this identity that I've created online and not necessarily take that into your real life. I mean, we even like I look at like things like different political movements that are happening currently, but also have happened in the past. Like 
it, it's it's useful to get people galvanized. It's useful to get people to like begin to notice that something's happening, but it's also like mm-hmm. it can become very cosmetic. And so like the living practice of like, if we look at like Black Lives Matter, like what does it mean? Not just to show up in the streets, right? Where like people can understand that, people can tweet that, people can repost. What does it mean to show up for black people in real life, right? Like mm-hmm. where is the nuanced conversation? I mean, it doesn't fit in 150 characters. So it's a little, it's, it's, it's challenging, at least for me to like sit with this idea of like, well, where where do these online conversations end, and like how much are they actually able to affect, you know, really um, thorough change in real life? I mean, yeah, I don't know. Not not only where they end, but I like yes, definitely. Like, where do they end? Where does that nexus start to like find some sort of end towards it? But also, like, where does it start? Like, I wonder often, like, how do some of these like really bolstered conversations around activism about showing up and being activated for like black people or for women or for trans people or for whomever doesn't have the space made for them? Where does it begin, and how do people arrive at the sort of discourse of I don't know finding these different sorts of languages and terminologies like? what in fact is a content warning? What in fact is a trigger warning? And what is the difference between those things and why are they necessary to be distinguished between themselves in order to make content happen and make yourself representable to people online? Yeah, and what is, something I think I've been thinking about a lot recently is, and it's really worrisome, like hmm, like if you look at my, like I have a lot of folks back home, and I mean I'm from like a small suburb of Seattle, like um, that ha- watch my life right that gaze on my life and Mm. maybe like but don't really interact with me and when i go home or i meet up with them they're like oh my god like your life looks amazing and like they have this idea of the life that i'm living that's not actually that's not really representative of the life that i live right like i i I am like even like this last week like you know my my in my Facebook looks popping and my Instagram <laughs> always lit filters on fleek like I look good but like in Love real life yourself, like girl. thank okay. you but oh, in real life mama. you know like I'm gonna oh, be I'm gonna be a hundred like I had like a serious like and y'all know but like I had a serious anxiety and depression moment last week where I wasn't leaving the house for a couple of days and I just like was going through it if you looked at my Facebook or you looked at my Instagram you would have no idea right, right. like I look like I'm taking care of shit right. and I'm moving through the world and I look good and that's not my reality all the time so I think also it's like what what are we presenting and like how are people how does that affect other people's mental health who are like it's like it always looks good like she's always living her life she's doing all the shit but like what's the reality how is that different than the real world right like when you walk around the world and people ask you how are you doing you don't say you know what my life sucks like you always say I'm fine how are you like we all like we still have a constructed identity that we present when we hit the door and we leave and even though you had like maybe you had like a little moment last week or whatever like even if you if social media didn't exist and you were interacting with people in real life they wouldn't have known that either i don't know know if that's true i think like if someone like if it's back in the day and they like if it's my community right and they expect to see me walking down the street every other day right mm-hmm. and my community who knows me who mm-hmm. like let's say my neighbors know who i am because we're not connecting to random people across the world they are like why hasn't okay left her house mm-hmm. like is she okay mm-hmm. or i see her walking down the street and she does not look as good as she usually does so for me it's also like what happens when your community is is in is only interacting with you on that level um and is not able to see you and 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 understand like the you know your whole existence and who you really are and what's going on and i think also like not only that i'm like let's say you need support like i often think like i mean i'm lucky where i have some groups online that i feel really safe in that if i need to reach out i can but Mm -hmm. like 
it's not like these platforms are made for you to be able to have these really nuanced like like sharing of your mental and emotional health like you can but it's like there's so much like the world there's so much baggage and also like i really think of it as like this extension of consumerism like you are there to consume ideas like Mm -hmm. these consume other people's identities like like you don't necessarily want to consume someone not having a good day like if i post an instagram photo and i look fly as fuck like there we go like likes out the window but if i post a photo where i'm like maybe like looking a little haggard in like in bed with the coffee being like please (laughs) like Mm you know what i mean like what is the response to that and what happens to you know that that identity and that following that you're trying to to cure to curate i mean people think that you're being um like you're fishing for 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 support or you're you're emotionally leeching off of people like it's hard like and that's why like facebook when they like like they changed the the responses that you could have Mm -hmm. from just like to like angry sad whatever like r.i.p thankful (laughs) i i think that they were they were kind of addressing this sort of issue like because it's really hard to post something negative not negative okay it's not hard to post something negative on social media that's not what i'm saying it's really hard to post about something negative that's happening in your life on social media because people perceive it in all sorts of different types of ways why is it like who is it difficult for i think it's difficult so like for me for example so like you know how like and facebook is for people that you know and twitter is for people that you don't know sure um on twitter i feel like i would have the space to be like yo today sucked Mm -hmm. and these are the reasons why i would probably do it in a really hilarious you know Mm -hmm. funny way but like on Facebook, I would be less willing to do something like that because the people that I know from high school, from college, from whatever, mm-hmm. that intimately know me, I would feel less comfortable posting like I'm sad today. No, I mean, not no. Like I understand that. And I also understand what you mean by like Facebook being for people that you like actually like have met with faces <laughs> and, and Twitter, maybe not so much. Um, but I guess like I think about this and like these are this is a, a gross oversimplification, but it's helpful for me to think about it in terms of like um, also connecting to what Sagea is saying. Um, like social media and like these sites or whatever are like these platforms, right? Like literal, like let's think of them like as literal plateaus for which you have to like climb up and then like leave something there for people to also meet you at a certain point up here and take it, consume it, use it, look at it, view it, like it, whatever they want to do with it. And then you sort of walk away because it's out there now. You can come back later if you want to and like tweak it, edit it, and then pull it off if you want to, if you don't want any people dealing with it. But I think sometimes when you are faced with the task of like schlepping up that plateau or that hill, something that's really heavy, something that's really cumbersome, something that you are used to just like sitting with yourself back at the bottom of the hill where your house is, where your nice little college is. Like it's really hard to do that work and bring it up there. And then I think what becomes more difficult and and a move from the abstract and bring it into the point where, and to the place where we start to deal with the, terms and conditions for which you want people to start to engage with whatever it is you're bringing up (laughs) words and symbolism y'all yes (laughs) and and like really like i i mean i i want to push back a little bit on this idea of like how 
yes, I think that it is challenging and I think that it is difficult to begin to talk about things. And I don't like using negative. I like things that like are like real and hard, challenging, sure, but also the stuff that like we see ourselves with and as every single day, but we aren't ready necessarily to bring it up to that plateau, bring it up on that platform and like give to other people all the time every day. I think that's really tricky. And it's tricky for these terms and conditions or these poorly articulated or sometimes never even articulated ways in which we want people to engage with these things. Because when we say like, I was assaulted and like this hurts and this still hurts me. And I'm reminded today when I'm going to the coffee shop and getting my dirty chai latte and motherfucker is like walking around doing whatever behavior thing. I'm like feeling this thing. And I want to, I want to, I want to write about it. I want to share that with people who are like, I think will resonate with this. But what if there is no sort of like coding language standard of like how it is I need this to be interpreted or responded to with, and then it not being fucked up or violent afterwards. Yeah, my friend actually said this dope ass thing where she's like, your activism is you weaponizing your vulnerability. And that's actually my biography. Like I made that as my bio where it's like, yes, I weaponized the shit out of it. I took what hurt me and built myself with it. Right. Like I literally lived the Phoenix lifestyle where it's like, yo, Y'all stab me with this knife. I'm going to make a skirt out of this. <laughs> it's going to be dope. And you're going to love it. And that's basically in, an, in like one sentence who I am. Yeah. <laughs> so there you have it, y'all. I'm so excited to bring you guys this interview oral history thing um, recorded by Will and myself. Uh, this uninterrupted voice of Rhea Jama. Rhea Jama is a multimedia artist, photographer, and while as she puts it, silence is not an option, her mission is to provide survivor warriors a safe space with her art. Her art forms have tackled sensitive issues like domestic violence, sexual assault, racism, childhood molestations, bullying, and depression, just to name a few. We're gonna get into a lot of these topics, so trigger warnings as this incredibly inspiring interview will touch on sexual assault and cyberbullying. But look out for this resilient, triumphant, uh, ass voice of Rhea. So to know me, no, to love my art is to love me. And to love me is to love my family because they're like super instrumental and shaping not only, not necessarily like my skills, of course not, (laughs) but like shaping my confidence, shaping like my, my, like when I created the Black Fairy, my dad was the first one to see it. I brought my laptop to him. I go, oh my God, look what I created. This is so awesome. He goes, yeah, yo, you're going to create more? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm going to create more. I don't know what I'm going to create, but I'm going to create more. And he goes, yes, you have to create more mythical creatures because like I want to see more, right? And it's the idea of like, we're so like, they're my hype 
people. Like, it's interesting because when you look at them, they're very conservative looking. My mom has like a long hijab that's called a jilbab, comes up to her knee. My dad's very like calm, cool, collected. But as soon as they see my art, they get so hyped up. They're like, yo, that is our daughter. And it's the idea of recognizing how privileged I am with this unique relationship I have with my family because not only are they conservative, um, even though my dad is a liberal enough that I have a dope-ass relationship with them, but they're also super Muslim and like super saturated in the Islamic community. And a lot of my art conflicts with um, the religion, but not in a disrespectful way. It's more like, hey, you know, um, the culture of Islam is changing and here is my narrative of it and this is what it means to be a black Muslim in 2016 right they still support me even though they don't understand I've never had people support me the way my parents did and it's like I had this um and I had an exhibit two years ago and it was like the evolution of depression so it was like the idea of showing you the different faces of depression how depression isn't like the misunderstand like the misconception with depression is this idea of you visibly look depressed when i could laugh and mean it and still be depressed like my joy doesn't just die it just gets harder to keep it right i remember I remember thinking to myself, my dad, he was really, he works graveyard shift, right? And he had, uh, so he starts, like, he, he gets up at 9 p.m. And he leaves by, like, 10. And he gets there for 11. He starts to shift at 11. And the exhibit started at 6. And I just remember how my dad sacrificed sleep. And he, like, showed up with, like, my mom and my sister and my brother and all I can think to myself is that day was the day, like, you know, when you're like, so when he showed up, all I can think is, oh, my God, this is what support, this is what unconditional love looks like. You, like, showed up knowing that you couldn't sleep and knowing that you're going to work this graveyard shift that's, like, hard manual work. And you came for me because you believe in my art so much. <laughs> I didn't mean to cry. I hate you so much. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so so i had this video right and when it comes to my survivor part of me uh, my mom doesn't understand it and it's okay because she loves me and that's enough i had this video where it was an open creative love letter to survivors um so basically this video went viral because how dare I be this Somali Muslim black girl being vocal about something that doesn't even get acknowledged in my culture, right? Like the whole East African culture, um, just like the black culture in general. Um, so it was the first time my dad was forced to uh, sit down with me and like, because I knew they supported me. I just didn't know the details. We've always just danced around it. Um, and it was the first time he was forced to like sit down and be like, okay, so I don't know like, I don't understand what you're doing, but I also understand I'm part of the generation that implemented and reinforced all these painful, like, I continued the cycle of abuse. And um, if it means you're healing, then that's all that matters to me, right? So my family, when it comes to my art, when it comes to my activism, when it comes to my online presence, they're always in the back of my mind because they're always present. Like, whoa, 
whoa, I have conservative family supporting my Afro-futurism with like an edge of like survivalhood and warriorhood. And I think ultimately if I ever create a piece with the Phoenix, because I love the Phoenix so much, <laughs> it means so much to me, the idea of a survivor and like being resilient and like surviving through the ashes of like your pain and trauma. If I ever create that piece, I don't know. I think I would just bawl and my dad would like cry with me and then we'll be like, oh my God, look what I created. It's like, oh my God, look at what you created. Oh my God, what do we do now? <laughs> right? Like my family just, they are my universe. So when I was assaulted at 16, um, I just, I never had a chance to process what happened to me. So what happened was I was slut shamed severely in the Somali um, community in Toronto um, and internationally because that was the beginning of like the internet uh, my age is showing <laughs> but like the beginning of like the social media era right i've never seen a more hateful community in terms of like what i'm exposed to because i am somali so i'm only aware of somali pain so i was slut shamed whether it was physically um i've had people like throw rains of condoms at me and like it was very aggressive um like the disrespect, like I actually have stigma, I mean stigma, anxiety against my landline because people, to this day, because people would call the house phone um, requesting really outrageous things. And so I share this um, candidly because I spent an entire decade up until like spring of 2013 where um, I was silent. I actually never cried during that time. Um, I was, I didn't have emotions. I don't, I still don't know how I survived. I went to college. Um, I worked a lot. The point I'm trying to say is I spent an entire decade numb and void of emotions. And just like, it was how my mind was able to exist, right? And to, to like function. So... Every time I think of, like when my video went viral last year around this time, like May 28th time, um, I got, one, like I, you obviously are aware of how much hate I get, just for existing as a survivor, nothing else really, right? Um, that video launched me, not that I wasn't known as Ria Jama, but that video put me on the map. It was very aggressive. I've had adults drag me. I've had youngsters <laughs> drag me. Um, I've had people, like I had this website that took my YouTube video and translated, like it was a Somali website, a news website, and they translated it to the wrong translation deliberately. Um, so my experience with online is very interesting. Some days I'm like, yo, fuck them. Like, who are these people? Like, who are you? Like, you ain't shit. You don't know my life. I am, you cannot shame me what, for what I'm sharing. Like, it, that's not how it works. But me sharing it, I lost my shame, right? Like, the shame doesn't exist. It's not attached to my truth, right? But, and then there are other days where it's like, why, why would a human being say this to me? Like, who, who would ever think it's okay to say this? To, and it's interesting because the cyber bullying 
is a is a very fairly new concept where people don't even know how to approach how to police the online bullying right and i've had people give me threat threats a lot of people give me death threats i've had people um threaten me with like repeat assault i'm not a survivor of fgm but i've had people say things like um i've had people say i will force you to have fgm i've had people come to uh, attack me from religion for, uh, say things like and i think that's the most horrific one because my relationship with Ilahe is very sensitive um i i gave my evil trolls nicknames um so that's how i survive sometimes online like laughing because my name is for him means joy in both arabic and somali um i i cope with laughing like i laugh hysterically at everything um so the low level trolls that i've met who actually changed with time and became dope ass people um the low levels are ashi abdi and misogynistic marian and it's basically self-explanatory they ain't shit like one needs a lot of lotion one internalized their misogyny but then there's levels to my trolls where there's like cavewoman halima um, she's literally stationed in the kitchen. She's like chained the fuck up, like screaming at me and there's no hope for her. And then there's her husband who's like the ones who's sending the death threats and etc. failure Farah. Um, and I use them particularly because and like, you know how in this culture, like when you're talking about a white girl, it's like Becky and etc. In my culture, when you're talking about a not a stereotypical, but when you're speaking of a random Somali boy and a Somali girl, you say Halima and Farah. And it's ironic to me. I use them to name my some of my most evil ass trolls. Also, there's more. There's Haram Hussein, who's like screaming everything is a sin. And then his girl, um, Dean Dehaba. Dean is the religion. Um, so yeah, like I try to find creative ways to exist. It, like it's it's weird to me. Like I don't know how to survive online. There are days when I'm so confident where I'm like, oh, none of y'all matter. And then there are other days where their words hurt. Like they really hurt. This is like the thing about online is we call them trolls, but we forget that these are real human beings hidden behind their screens saying these like horrific things you know what i mean people are literally telling me they would rather i die than live because they don't believe in what i'm doing um online especially as a black girl especially as a muslim black girl it's hard it's really hard and i'm still trying to figure out how to survive um i i take breaks often i also recognize the biggest point i recognize that i don't have to share shit i can just stop like what i did already is instrumental in the community i don't have to do any more than what i did but i'm just i'm just really terrified to be silent again so it's almost like in the beginning when i was sharing my story it was almost like yo when somebody tells me to shut up the louder like my voice becomes louder like i'm like yo i have to share my story even more because you want me to shut up i'm not shutting up because like i have to share my story because if i don't share my story then i'm gonna die yeah my friend actually said this dope ass thing where she's like your activism is you weaponizing your vulnerability and I, that's actually my biography like i made that as my bio where it's like yes 
I weaponized the shit out of it. I took what hurt me and built myself with it, right? Like, I literally lived the Phoenix lifestyle where it's like, yo, y'all stab me with this knife. I'm going to make a skirt out of this. <laughs> it's going to be dope, and you're going to love it. And that's basically in, an, in like, one sentence who I am. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So basically, somebody wrote me like a think piece on my YouTube video saying not only am I not shit, but I'm representing Islam incorrectly, even though Islam promotes consent, like arranged marriages, um, like sexual violence. All of those are culture. FGM predates Islam, but that's not the point. <laughs> All of those are culture. Right. Um so they wrote me a think piece saying I'm not a good Muslim, which is the highest crime um, that you can tell another person that they're not Muslim because you're not God. You don't know what our Iman, Iman, the heart of Islam, looks like. You don't know what my relationship with my creator looks like. So just stay in your lane like a good little person. I feel like Aruelo is somewhere smiling because I don't give a fuck. <laughs> Because, <laughs> like, I'm literally um, throwing the middle finger to, like, every expectation required of me of, like, what is needed of me to do. I've had community members come together and tell me to shut the fuck up. Um, legitimately, like, it is so taboo to exist as me. There's, like, a novelty to who I am. And there's, like, I'm, like, this being that the Somali community don't know what to do with. <laughs> But it's okay because I'm still here. Regardless if you understand me or not, I'm still going to exist and I'm still going to create. And I guess I guess how I'm going to end this is more or less my saying a love note to myself. I just hope I don't stop creating. I hope that I never let anyone define who I am for me. I hope that I never give up. I hope that I continue to be gentle with myself. I hope that... I see kindness as a strength. I hope that I never stop being humble. I'm okay with being fucking humble and shy. And I hope I don't see my insecurities as weaknesses. And I just, I just hope that my legacy is something that the future children of Hoya Somalia, but particularly the future daughters of Aruelo, I hope that they look, they look back at my art and they look back at my voice and they don't feel ashamed. I hope they, I hope they look and see pride. I hope I hope a Somali girl looks at my art even now and like loves herself because she's like, oh my God, I see a reflection of myself. I hope a Somali survivor hears my voice and doesn't, doesn't feel as alone as I felt. I hope that, I hope, I hope my voice gives birth to an entire generation of warriors. I think that is my ultimate goal. I just hope that that weird Somali child feels validated because they know that I went to war for them. And that's how I view my navigation on 
the social media i'm literally fighting to exist and i'm literally fighting to like be heard and to be seen but most importantly i'm fighting for myself to recognize what i'm doing is important and it matters writer who's gonna help us, I wanna say her name, she didn't have her diploma. And she was blocked from her school in 2014. That was two years ago. She didn't have her diploma. So I'm thinking, how in the hell am I gonna go up against, not me, excuse me, how are we, you know, 20, 30 working class, brown, and queer people are gonna go against an institution with millions of dollars and backed by the federal government saying that we don't have to do that they don't have to do this that's the question isn't it how do we begin to intervene for ourselves when it becomes so painfully clear that no one is really listening will here and i must confess i'm not sure how many of us muster the courage or nerve to even begin to answer this question so today on our viral episode we speak to someone who is finding their own way to infiltrate the apparatus of an otherwise unlistening party. This story talks about violences women face on university campuses, so listeners, please be advised. So, what do you do when the couple of places you're supposed to turn to are turned away from you? Let's listen. <clears throat> Alright, um, well, Kadeen, I did this new thing. No, actually, Kadeen L. Herring. I just think it sounds better. I'm, I'm from uh, Greer, South Carolina. Raised in Greer, South Carolina. But I was, uh, I was in Amsterdam. Uh, <laughs> it was like late like at night. And it was like it was like a March. I was like, man, I have to go back to my home country. My visa's going to end pretty soon. I have to go back home. Like, you know what? I don't go back to school. I took a semester off. I don't go back to school. I was in France working and teaching for years. So you know what? I want to go back to school. And finish back home. And I put the coin. I was like, all right, either LA or New York City. And I it was New York City. So I spent like the next two days just researching all these schools. And I hated all of them. They're all like really uptight. You know, like NYU, Columbia, very like traditional and kind of frat boy attire and very strict in how uh, the way they teach and what they teach. And so I ended up finding a new school. And I was like, this school seems really different. You know, they're actually about, you know, teaching um, like Marxist theory or, or like radical organizing, even just things as like a different way, a different approach to teaching biology or, or physics. Like they just had a very different way of approaching those those ideals. And also, as I actually fell into too, I think it's New York City and using all the campaigns they had, all the photos they were using that were like, you know, with brown bodies and you know, queer people and people who are trans, like, oh, this place is crazy, this place is amazing. Like, they have, everybody's there. Like, all the 
quote unquote underdogs and outsiders are all in the school and they're all thriving. It's like I, I gotta go here. And that was just that simple. I didn't really think anything of it. And in my first few months, I didn't really notice it until probably like, like you know, a semester went by, okay, this school's just like any other private school. It's just, you know, a little pocket of these kids. But, you know, it's it's really weird that they can um promote such a liberal space but yet the students who need, who need the most help are tossed aside the the, 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 the the quickest and the easiest and that's not the first painful contradiction we'll hear about today three years after kadeen entered the new school he knew it was time to go but the school said they weren't ready to let him go at least not yet imagine after you realize you need to go that you absolutely can no longer bear a thing as promising as it may have once appeared, it refuses to let you go. It holds you down and says, you are mine. Here's more from Kadeen. I uh, have a hold, a financial hold, of basically a semester, which I still don't understand how my, my cost so much, being that I am a student, independent student. But I owe the school like 8K for classes that I could not afford. And I was just trying to transfer out, get my transcript so I can go to a school where I can't afford. And um, of course the debt will be there because I have to pay for it, which is understandable in this kind of world, which is fine. But apparently um, it's a universal thing, which I'm doing research on, that although there's no law or no um, any kind of rules in the schools have to withhold transcripts or even diplomas for people who are unable to pay off any kind of hold they have, uh, they're encouraged to do so by the federal government. They make interest off these holds and transcripts, and like they get in, the schools get incentives for stopping these children. So yeah, so it's me, and so far this semester alone, about 20, 25 students who are trying to graduate or transfer uh, who can't because of holds ranging from 2000 to $12,000. I guess I just kind of thought, you know, uh, the school, that's the main weapon that they, they choose. Like, that's all their, it's all their marketing. And even if the people they get for commencement speeches, we just had D-Ray, we just had Anika Sarkeesian. Like, we have people who are very, quote-unquote, you know, progressive, um, uh, socially aware uh, people that who come here, teach here, work here. So I'd be very shocked to figure out that they're holding student shot transcripts for years and that I will be part of that. And after talking to him for months and months and just, you know, telling your case of how this happened and, you know, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's shocking and it's disgusting. It wasn't that I just went to school and didn't want to pay for it. Like I had scholarships that were cut. Uh, I had own issues that were happening health-wise, same for my parents-wise, that affected money that I could even get. Even even my FAFSA, for some odd reason, I didn't figure out till like February that it wasn't accepted. It was a small error. That okay, this will be this will get you know fixed. Have some faith in it, and now I'm now I'm talking to you in this studio. I, I guess it's kind of sad we have to um, prove quote unquote our worth to the school, but. I was a student representative for my college. Uh, I organized conferences. I brought like 
Kimberly Drew and Jacob Satterwhite and you know until this semester with my illness I had like a 3.3 like I was a pretty good it wasn't like I was like fucking around like I was doing doing my work I mean I uh, I just got I was an honors writing student for the school I just got into this intensive writing program which I kind of low-key represent the school I'm like one of the few undergraduate students who got into this uh, writing program I was in New York this summer out of Two hundred people applied for the slots, and eighty people got in, and I'm the only, so far, the only undergraduated that I know who's in it. So uh, yeah, I wasn't just you know taking a piss at school. I was kind of helping, helping their image a little bit, being that quote unquote you know diverse, progressive underdog. Yeah. Things start to go more sour for Kadeem when all that work doesn't help when it matters most when it needs to matter for someone else who needs the help. We all know that feeling, when you put in the work and it feels as if it was all for naught. Yeah, I mean, that's, that, I think so. by the first semester, I started realizing, oh, all these people that we're seeing on these, on these posters, on these um, websites, they don't stay here. And um, they can afford it, or because like microaggressions and, and just straight up aggressions. Like there's people, but there's people who are, who are literally in court cases for raping women at the school, but yet they're there and they walk around and they like go to class because they have the money to afford being there. Like what kind of shit is this? Kadeen is referring to a new school student who is not being barred from classes or being refused the option to move on with his life. Kadeen is now talking about a rapist who targets and assaults women and is still given access somehow, some way, to the freedoms neither his victims nor students like Kadeen are ke- are given at all. Like isn't this and like and then you know another thing I did for the school was I rewrote the goddamn sexual assault clause at the school because it was outdated. Like it was it was like some some online template form that is downloaded in the eighties. Like it was crazy, super super crazy. Uh, he had a few people that he was, uh, a few people called him out for um, assaulting him. I think two women or three women this past two years have said that, yeah, he assaulted me or tried to rape me or did rape me. And yet, uh, he walks around school, he's still allowed to be in classes and no issues whatsoever. Uh, so yeah, he's not facing any kind of penalties and he's always cheerful and happy because people were getting straight up abused and like stalked and raped at our school and like not only were these students in the same grade the 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 rapist or the the assaulter will be in the same classroom with these people and how do you tell a student to like be you know how do you tell a student that's supposed to a student a school that's mostly uh made up of women or people identify as women to go into classrooms and talk about feminism talk about women's rights and yet we have their acute, their their assaulters or their or their or their or their what do you call it? Yeah, their assaulters in their classroom, and they weren't getting any, they weren't getting any, they were being heard. Like they were just being told, oh, you know, we can't do anything about it. It's a case. Like no, you cannot at the very least make that student go into the classroom at a different time or a different different building. Like some students were literally in the same seats, like same like an aisle away from each other. Like that's craziness. And when it happens to people that I vaguely knew, it's like, okay, this has to, this has to, like, this has to end now. This is crazy. Uh, he 
had a few people that he was uh, a few people called him out for um, assaulting him. I think two women, three women, this past two years have said that yeah he assaulted me or tried to rape me or did rape me, and yet uh, he walks around school. He's still allowed to be in classes and no issues whatsoever. Uh, so yeah, he's just not facing any kind of penalties and he's always cheerful and happy. Um, but yeah, when you just, when you start seeing that the students who you met or who that you saw just end up disappearing and more people who look like the quote-unquote ideal art student, you know, Connecticut or LA or Seattle or some other like, but uh, yeah, you know, this, this the typical kind of kid from that area, but, you know, like come to the school and it's like why are all the POC and queer and trans people not coming here anymore and yeah so that kind of makes you want to get out quicker and now we're all stuck and we can't even get out of the situation without paying the fee or causing some noise <laughs> I remember the president roughly once a month twice a month in his office you know so you know, they know who I am. That was Kadeen L. Herring. Kadeen is still in the throes of retrieving his transcripts, but asks you to join him. Here he is talking more about his campaign. Uh, the campaign is <laughs> it's called uh, Free Kadeen. It's just basically about what we talked about earlier, about how students who are mostly junior seniors like, like myself who are either trying to transfer out because they can't afford the school anymore or have graduated this term and are, are unable to get their diploma or transfer due to holds. And these holds range from 2000 to about $12,000. Um, so we decided to hit up as many magazines and writers. NPR might be helping us out. HuffPost wants to help us write this, so that's really good. Um, but... Uh, we're just trying to shed light on how, not only how this is a universal thing with all schools, that they are encouraged to withhold transcripts for incentives or for extra money or, or whatever reason, but especially, especially for the new school that promotes such a um, safe space for students who are you know working class or students who are oppressed from society in general, and yet they take these students, the students who need the, need the most help and the, the, the most to work for to be settled in their life and forbid them for continue, continuing education when they're so close. Like most students who, are in this, who have no transcripts are like me, a first semester senior. Like we're like almost finished. So, or sometimes we're like a second semester junior. Like they're very, very on, on the cups of finishing. I, I mean, like how, how can you really say that you're about equality or you're about you know, safe spaces when, like, people who make safe spaces are the people you're not going to help. Like, there's no such thing as a white male in safe because, like, they are the, they're the, they're the image. They're, they're the standard. They're the, the blueprint. Like, for white women, they're the, they're the standard that we have to go up against. So how are you going to have, you know, I don't know, I think I'm just rambling, but I, I'm just not really, <laughs> I'm just not really about it anymore. And it's, uh, it makes you feel um it makes you feel empty it makes you feel alone for sure that people who you think understood where you come from and wanted to help you get out of a situation that, that that you're in or even were like you know siding with you with all these protests or these 
campaigns like, oh yeah, you know, Black Lives Matter and blah, blah, blah. When it comes down to their money, when it comes down to them taking the time out to help you, they don't, they're out. And it's just like that, you know. I think it's going to be much harder than people imagine. Cause I don't think people are really looking at how much information that I'm reading. That this has been happening, and it's been getting bigger and bigger the past 10 years, the people are not from their debt. And I not, I not read one case where someone got their transcript. Not one. Or diploma. Education is not about that. And like I, I thought the New School's message was about you know, uh, if you were talented and you had enough, enough motivation, you do whatever you want to do. Isn't that the whole American dream that if you just work hard enough and you look at opportunities, you can get there? Well, how can you tell me that when everywhere I've, I, I look into, the gatekeeper stopped me as a white person with money? This story was produced by me and was captured by my good friend, Sagay. Thanks, everyone. Survival tips. Is social media our generation's savior or the devil? Is social media this generation's savior or the devil? Um, I definitely don't think it's its savior. It's misused uh, and abused by a lot of this generation. A lot of people hide behind social media to share the ideas and feelings that they would be too coward to say in person. So I definitely don't think that it's their savior. Is it the devil? Mm, I'm not quite sure, but I definitely think it's misused and abused. And when used in the proper light can be very appropriate and helpful to some of the causes that a lot of this generation um, is very passionate about. I believe that social media is both it's it's really hard it depends on who's using it and what they gain out of it i think overall like it's a savior because it's reconnecting people and it's the devil because you're bare you are open to the world everyone has access to you it's a good thing and it's a bad thing it's a good thing because if you need to promote yourself out there that's great but it just depends on how much you want out there and how people use it. I personally think that social media is this generation's savior and devil. With all good things, people are always going to bring out the bad aspects of it, are going to use it in the wrong way. But I think that it's awesome at keeping us connected and connecting us to people that we usually don't you know, talk with on a regular basis or um, people that we don't even possibly know. Um, also, it's extremely entertaining and very informative, um, but it's a devil in a way that is creating these ideals of how people should be and influencing us maybe in not the best ways at times and not allowing us to foster these interpersonal relationships that we should have and kind of making us a little bit lazy as far as communication is concerned. For me personally, social media has definitely been the devil, uh, in particular Tumblr. I 
am very active on Tumblr and run in a lot of circles where um, it's very easy to get into fights about things and people get exposed and then you want to add your two cents and then it just snowballs and becomes one giant thing and you end up logging off one night feeling super upset over words on the internet from somebody you've never met but you want to fight. So um, it's definitely the devil for me. Thank you for listening to Prismatic. You can keep today's conversation going online by using the hashtag, it's about to be lit. Prismatic is more than a show. You know that road that you hate to drive over? The one with all the holes and the bumps and the shit that you just can't deal with? And you know what? Now, hmm, you have to go over it. It's literally the one road you have to take to get to your next place. The ground is slick too. You haven't slept enough. You're kind of hungry. Well, that sounds like a horrible day. Uh, right and and so instead of wrecking your fancy ass rust bucket of a car that you have and 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 that that same car by the way it's about to lose its bumper and its windshield is about to crack all across its face we are the stuff that seeps into the cracks inside of the road that you now have to go down and get to your next place we aren't so much like concrete or gravel because we have other places to go after we help you but we will be fluid and sturdy, all in one. We will fill those cracks in your road and make your ride just a little bit easier. I'm like Geico. And that's why we're here. We want to give something back to you all, something useful. Visit prismaticseries.com and view our archive. Tips and tricks, prayers, spells, along with the voices you hear in each episode will live there. And throughout the month, you'll be hearing other voices from friends who have so many smart and helpful, but also sometimes lovely things to say about each and every episode topic. Visit our archive at prismaticseries.com. And please, this is like really important to me uh, personally, because, you know, I just need this to get done like immediately. Like and subscribe and rate us on iTunes. We really need the ratings on iTunes, y'all. But only if they're five stars. Otherwise, just like mind your business. Shut the fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) It's really important for us to continue the show. We're also on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Podomatic, and a whole bunch of other places that I can't seem to ever remember. ACAST, Google Play. Just You better recognize. (sighs) Get it together. Okay. Yes. You can just go on our website and click all the pretty buttons that tell you where we are. Anyway, you can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, too. Just search for us as Prismatic Series. And you know what? Before each episode, we put out a call on our social media with a prompt that tells you what to do and what to say. It's our little teaser for what we're going to talk about in an upcoming episode. If you want to be part of the conversation, if you want to hear your little voice on the show, we'll do it for you. You just got to email the voice memo to us responding to the prompt, you know, like that. But keep it 
under 45 seconds because ain't nobody got time for editing all this stuff. Come on, keep it real. And when he says 45 seconds, he actually means 30, but whatever. Um, your responses can be in the form of stories, poems, performances, whatever you want. We love you and take you as you are. Unless you're the worst. <laughs> oh. I, uh, oh. I don't think that she's wrong. Uh, <laughs> Where's the line? <laughs> I mean it. So you can also just email us these things at prismaticseries at gmail.com. That's prismaticseries at gmail.com. If you want to know more about what we, us humans, are doing with these coming summer months, check us out on Instagram. Sagay, where can people find you? As told by Sagay. Find out how to spell it on your own. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Oh my god. Um, I don't Josh, care. Don't follow me. <laughs> Josh, do you want to tell them where people can find you? I'm regarding Josh on Twitter, Instagram, and in your heart. I am nowhere near you. Um, <laughs> I'm going to keep a uh, holy distance from you and me and find me at Will Not Go Quietly. And I'm just on Instagram because I don't believe in Twitter. And they don't believe in you. Okay, sure. Um, and, you know, as ever, a snowy, blissful mountain that pierces up into the heavens worth of gratitude to Ahmed Ashur for in-studio audio production and editing. You can find him on Instagram as ah.sure and then on Twitter, also Ashur. However, it's spelled differently. It's double A-H-S-U-R-E. Ahmed, I'm going to introduce you to something called brand synergy. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Wait, hold on. We can't leave yet. (laughs) Shout out to our musician who gives us, makes us sound kind of sort of good on most days. Um, The music you heard today was from I Bang Loud, and you can find more of his stuff on SoundCloud. That's all I have because I can't anymore. Anything from y'all too? So good. Bye. Bye, guys. Have a good one, y'all.